honestly, I was just working my way up to death. I thought about killing myself every day. I was using all the time, and I, that's not a sustainable lifestyle. My brother shot himself because of drugs. When you are using technology to lure children for sexual purposes, there's a couple of problems that concern me. But I remember feeling kind of relieved after hurting myself. Do you have any idea how much you were worth? I like to say it this way, great people are really built in the furnace of affliction. Our teens are navigating a world of information anarchy and increased stress and pressure. Drugs are glorified more than ever before and there seems to be a suicide option that didn't exist prior. As adults, we are responsible to provide the help at-risk teens need. Have teens changed or is it just the world they live in that's different? Is this why so many teens are traumatized or triggered? My name is Aaron Huey, and in 2009, I opened a home for these teens with the hopes of giving them a second chance at creating the life we all know they deserve. Now I want to give parents the information that contributed to our success and to support them in navigating the at-risk world. These are the stories told by the teens and the techniques used by experts to help them. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. Okay, thank you very much, everyone, for being with us and spending the uh, time with us, uh, with me tonight, um, Thursday night, talking about making consequences stick and sticking to consequences. Uh, this is, everything is, is a continuation of the parent education here at Fire Mountain and wanting to make sure, as parents, you have everything that you need. Um, I've got some people live, and I know you might be listening to a recording of this call, or you might be listening to the podcast or even the video as I'm filming everything uh, right in front of me. So however you're seeing us here, welcome, and uh, want to pass on the information that we know has been effective for a lot of kids and a lot of families as they work with teens at risk. And just to provide another level of support uh, for, for parents, teachers, and clinicians who, uh, who do this work on the front lines with kids who are really struggling. Um, what I want to start this conversation with is the concept that um, we understand as parents, and we understand, we should understand as adults, that uh, responsible behavior is a prerequisite of privacy, choice, and freedom. And I wanna say that again, responsible behavior is a prerequisite for privacy, choice, and freedom. Um, I read a long time ago, the, uh, the phrase freedom and responsibility are the same thing. And that one really stuck with me. Whatever responsibility you take, uh, you get the freedom for. So, uh, uh, because I like that idea, because I like the idea that the more responsibility you take for life and for your work, the more freedom you're going to get uh, with all of this. What I also wanna say is whatever you take responsibility for, you will get power over. And that's why we want kids to take responsibility for their actions, is because it's a source of power. Responsibility is a source of power for kids. It, and kids desire power. Teenagers desire power so much. They, that's what they want. And they do things that they think make them powerful, like drugs, like driving, like sex. These, these things make us feel powerful. And so, of course, kids are going to do them. They see adults who have power and have choice and have freedom do these things. What they don't see a lot of times, especially, um, well, what they don't see are the consequences of, of misuse and abuse. 
but quite frankly, adults don't pay attention to that as well. Um, we like to overlook the tough times for the freedom that we get for for but we forget that all those freedoms came with taking responsibility for something the freedom of a of a clean house and that peace of mind comes from the responsibility of doing the chores um, the freedom of um, getting more vacation time and getting raises has come from the responsibility of working hard but see these are long-term concepts and as adults, our brains are built around long-term concepts. We understand delayed gratification. We're supposed to. We're supposed to understand delayed gratification. <clears throat> but uh, if we're not taught to delayed gratification as a child, um, the idea of delayed gratification will be a struggle as an adult. And I've talked to many people about the marshmallow study. Uh, there are videos about the marshmallow study. Go to YouTube and just type in the marshmallow study and watch the videos of these kids and these scientists interacting around marshmallows. It's brilliant and it's a very clear lesson on delayed gratification and delayed consequence. That is one of the key components to sticking to consequences and making consequences stick is the concept of delay. And even still, today as i was going on doing a little bit more research what is the internet saying what are other parenting organizations saying is that you know consequences immediately consequences immediately so the child can attach the behavior to the consequence i don't buy that i don't i don't believe that that's necessary at all i believe that children are not dogs and not rats and we have long-term memory and that we can consider things for a while and i know the fear is that if we don't do something right away there they will not be considerate of the thing that they did the bad choice that they made they ditched school to go get hot that's a bad choice we we acknowledge that uh, with teens at risk that that might be a survival choice but nonetheless it's a choice that is reinforcing a bad pattern and a bad habit and things that are going to dig the hole deeper even though it might provide total relief connection a sense of power freedom in the moment in the long term, it's going to make life more difficult, especially as these ditchings and getting high are adding up. Uh, grades go down, the fights with the parents start up. So then we say to our kids, there's gonna be a consequence. And the kids brace for impact. And embracing for impact, therein lies the power struggle. You can't hurt me. I'm not trying to hurt you, I'm trying to teach you. And sometimes lessons can be painful, but I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to prepare you. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to show you that ownership of this moment will lead to much more freedom. But try to explain that to an adolescent brain. Try to explain that to a developing mind. That's beating your head against a tree. So back to consequences because it's our duty as parents to create consequences. And it's life's uh, intention to consequence bad decisions. That's what life and society will do. So preparing our kids for that and our kids standing in the space of taking ownership of the consequence and making sure it stays connected to the choice that they made that led to the consequence. So we wanna look at realistic consequences. We wanna look at natural consequences. We wanna look at consequences that create more natural consequences if the uh, um, consequences are not heated 
and we want to create what I call less work consequences. I want the parents to work less hard than the children. When a teenager does something uh, like skipping school and getting high and then they get busted by the resource officer and they got a little bag of weed on them and um, their, their grades are in the tank and the, the parents are upset, I want the kids to do the work around this because I work with parent after parent after parent that are just utterly exhausted of doing the work that the children should be do. And so to, to, to make sure that the kids are working harder, we have to stop taking care of the children while they're going through consequence. I interviewed uh, uh, Charles Fay on this podcast. And Charles Fay is one of the founders of Love and Logic, and he's the son of uh, one of the two creators of Love and Logic. And he told a story that I want to paraphrase um, that I think is one of the greatest stories about consequence that I have ever heard. And now this happened when his child was much younger. And remember, Charles Fay is a parenting expert and he teaches all over the place, parents, teachers, clinicians, he teaches everybody this love and logic system. And he's outside with his kid and they're working on stuff and the child says he's going to go into the garage and get a drink of water. Now Charles Fay's uh, office is in the garage. So the kid goes in there and he gets a drink of water and he comes on back out and Charles is like, all right, how's everything going? The kid's fine. And he gets that feeling in his gut. So he goes into his office and he checks and the child has spilled a full glass of water all over his computer and the computer's shot. Um, and Charles is angry. He's really angry at his kid. You get into that house right now. And of course the kid's scared and the kid had lied and the kid had caused damage and on and on. And later on that night when the kid was being tucked into bed, Charles still wasn't in the space to have the conversation. And his wife keeps sending him out of the room and saying, listen, Mr. Child Parenting Expert, um, why don't you uh, uh, go calm down and, and go think this through? And Charles finally calls his father, Jim, and the two of them talk this out and they talk it through. So, so here's Charles resourcing. Here's Charles not giving consequence, and oh, he wanted to, and when you listen to him tell the story, you can't help but just grin as he's talking about his level of frustration and anger and, and you know, the, the, the feeling of being lied to by his child and on and on. So he finally calls his dad, and the two of them really talk out the consequence, really talk out the idea. And what the idea comes is that, of course, this child this, I, I believe his son was around five or something like that, you know, very young. And his child was going to have to pay a reasonable amount of money for that child's age to get the computer repaired. Now, that's natural consequence. You break something, you fix something. That's, that's natural consequence. And so finally, when he's calm enough, he has the conversation with his son. We're going to have to come up with the money for you to pay for my computer to be repaired. And whatever money we still can't figure out, you're gonna to have to work off by coming to work at dad's office. And of course the kid's sad. And because the consequence needs to sting, because the consequence needs to hurt a little bit, they decide that the, the young boy's John Deere tractor, the little John Deere tractor toy, that the young kid follows Charles around while Charles is mowing on the big John Deere tractor, um, is going to be put up for sale. And so the kid is devastated. This is one of his most prized, beloved possessions. So it has value. 
And we're talking about value here. What is valuable to the child? And so uh, Charles has made arrangements and they go take the uh, toy John Deere tractor to a friend of Charles who's going to purchase the tractor for a reasonable amount of money. Now, of course, the adults have all worked this out ahead of time. So this is as much sacred drama for the child's sake as it is um, the child having to have a cost to his behavior, to his bad choice of spilling the water and lying about it. So they sell the tractor and they get into the car. On the way home, the child says to him, to Charles, um, do you think that daddy's boy will love the tractor as much as I did? And Charles says, probably. He says, well, then he better not spill water on his dad's computer. And Charles was ready to turn around and go back and pick it up. This, this precious little child was, was truly experiencing the cost of his behavior. But that's when Charles realized that this level of discomfort as a parent is something that we need to get used to. And that, that was the first point I took from the story. But it wasn't the best point. The best point came later. The best point came from when now the child has earned his tractor back. He's been working at the office. He's, you know, and this money uh, that would have been paid to the child is being paid to Charles. And of course, it's it's all, again, sacred drama for the child to learn a long-term lesson. And so finally, Charles goes in and says, hey, I have one more chore for you to do, and then we can get the tractor. Would you come help me in the garage? And so the boy comes out to the garage and says, what do you need me to do, dad? And remember, this has been months and he's been working at the office and dad's got a new computer and there's new rules established around the garage. And Charles says, I need you to help me move this sheet. And under the sheet, of course, is the green tractor. And the boy is unbelievably excited and he jumps on the tractor and he's driving it around the yard. And he comes up and he says, dad, this tractor's better than the one I had. And Charles says, why do you say that? And he says, because it's faster. And Charles realized how often, and this was the point, Charles realized how often we as parents steal from our children by lessening the consequences or not sticking to the consequences. What this child had experienced through these few months of working with his dad and having to pay for something he broke and earning this tractor back was far more valuable than the experience of Charles having given into his discomfort in the moment. And he said the words, why do we steal from our children? That is the power of consequences. That's why this is so important. That's why when the kids at Fire Mountain realize that they have earned an X for some minor rule violation. And they know what they did, but they stand in the staff hall and they go, Mike, what did I do? And Mike goes, you know what you did. Let's talk about it. No, I really don't know, Mike. I heard two kids doing this today. I really don't know, Mike. Why do I have an ex? And the conversation plays itself out. And these kids have to earn back. And we're, we don't need them to earn it back now. You have to fix it now. Do it now. Bad choice. Make a good one. Fix it. Fix it. Fix it. That's not necessary. Because at the end of the phase, when the kid is ready to move from bard to wizard or from warrior to bard, to, to move phases, they know that they've got to fix some things, that they might have days added, or they know that if they want to go on that path, they have to do the work to earn it. And our staff does not steal from the kids 
by lessening it. Another way of saying it is if you're trying to teach your kid how to play hockey and every time you shoot the puck, you also run and block the puck from the net, your child learns nothing. And so the consequences of their action are so important and they must be delivered with love. If you deliver them out of anger, if you deliver them out of stress, if you deliver them out of fear, and if you deliver them out of frustration, the child will focus on the feeling and not the action or the consequence. And that is where I'm going to guess that 75 of the parents screw up consequences, is when you focus on the energy and feeling that you're feeling. You make me so mad, give me your phone. And all the focus is on, you make me mad. And no one wants to be responsible for someone else's feelings. My feelings are not your responsibility. And as mad as I would get at my kids, I was able to say, my feelings are not your responsibility. As mad as I get at the kids in my facility at sometimes, I'm able to say, my feelings are not your responsibility. Because I don't want your kids running around making their feelings everybody else's responsibility. Our feelings belong to us. And our triggers belong to us. And when we say, you make me mad, you piss me off, you frustrate me so, oh, I could just, I'm gonna, that's all they're focused on. They're not thinking about what they did. They are protecting themselves from your energy, from your actions. When I post things on this, like, like this talk online, and people get in, they're like, man, I'll just smack my children's ass, and you know, and I, I, I'll smack my daughter across the face, and I'll slap, and I'll do that type of stuff. What do you think they're focusing on? Do you really think they're thinking about their actions, or are they thinking about your emotions about their actions? Because your emotions will not carry into reality. It will not carry into the real world and their focus will be on you. This is why when we are talking with our parenting partners, whether it's our wife, our stepwife, our husband, our, our, our stephusband, our, our exes, whatever, we are talking about what is a realistic consequence for this? What is a natural consequence for this? Let's go back to the age-old conversation around cell phones. We find out that our daughter or our son are sexting. Hey, kid, um, obviously, when I discovered you sexting the other day, I was really taken aback by that. I was, I, was, I was scared. I was angry. I was confused. But my feelings are not your responsibility, and that's why I wanted to wait to talk about this. So now what I think, what I think needs to happen next is a really clear understanding of my value system. And I know you've been raised in it and heard this a thousand times, so just bear with me. I am not willing to pay for child pornography on my phones. So I will no longer be paying for your phone. If you would like to have a phone, uh, then you're going to need to get a job and figure out how to pay for your own service. But I am not going to pay for someone's service who sends things out. Now, all this, this tone of voice, this I've delayed it, I've dealt with my feelings, all of this talking to the other parents and my parenting partners and really getting clear on what makes sense for this maybe has taken a few days. They're not going to forget that they were sexting. They're not going to forget. And they're not going to forget that you were upset about it. But but our upset is not going to be um, the, the primary focus. The primary focus is I'm not willing to pay for you to send nude photographs of yourself um, because that's child pornography. 
that's that's not okay with me that goes against my value system and uh what you can't do that i don't know what did i say you said you're not gonna pay for it and you're just such an asshole and blah 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 i know and all this my system is regulated because i've still been taking care of myself and i've still been tending to my adult relationships well when do i get it back that's the part of consequences we're going to talk about next so the second thing is what i call the landmarks one of the reasons why video games are so important for development and i say important not that we have to have them but i'm saying that they fulfill an extremely important part of development are the landmarks and if we talk about rites of passage and if we talk about uh, video games and if we talk about um growing up there are certain things we hit. You hit 16, you can drive. You hit 18, you can vote. You hit 21, you can drink. You hit 25, you can rent a car. There, there are landmarks along the way. Oh, when you're 11, you can stay up till nine o'clock. When you're uh, 13, you can stay up till 10 o'clock. When you're um, 15, I'm not going to tell you what time to go to bed, but the car leaves for school at 7:30, and if you're not in the car, you are welcome to find your own way to get to school. And uh, um, here, the number for the for Uber and the cab are on the fridge, and you are welcome to spend your own money to do that. And then at 7:30, you leave. You don't wait. You don't remind. You've set the boundary. You must stay consistent with it. You must leave the house at 7:30. You must be on time. You must set the example for what time it is to leave. We get so upset. I. I I live in a pretty small town and I see parents drive their kids to school. Now I don't, I'm, I'm sitting in the hot tub out at the gym as I'm watching parents drive uh, their kids to school. I don't know where these kids live, but there, I don't see many kids walking to school anymore. And so if we are going to be the taxi or the bus system for our children, I'm fine with that. As long as you have established the boundaries that work for you, which is, hey, I take you to school at 7.30. If you're not in the car at 7.30, when I pull out of the driveway, I will just go ahead and start my day and run my chores. If at 7.30 you are not ready and I do not have any chores, you may find your way to walk because I will have started the day. My day starts at 7.30. I am happy to make part of my day at 7.30 taking you to school, but if you're not in the car at 7.30, I'm going to go ahead and start my day and you can find your own way to school. I love you. We say these things to the kids when things are going well. We put it in writing. We hang it on the fridge next to that beautiful poem they wrote about how this girl broke their heart and they, they've cried themselves to sleep for eons and centuries or whatever their teenage poetry is. And we stick to it. The second reason why consequences fail the first being because we get all emotional when we're delivering them so they don't focus on the consequence. It's because we don't stick to it. If you want the consequence to stick, stick to the consequence. If you say, this is what I'm going to do, do it. If you say your allowance is this much, that's how much the allowance is. You don't just suddenly show up with an extra $400 to say, oh, I'm feeling saucy. You stick to the allowance. They can always earn more money. If you say these types of behavior will uh, uh, create a situation where you have no phone. And I will provide you a small, uh, dumb phone that only dials three numbers. I will program the numbers in. Well, when do I get to earn my phone back? Now we talk about landmarks. 
proper development for an adolescent brain requires that we have very clear designated uh, points where we can say, I made it. If we say, I don't know when I'm not pissed, that doesn't mean anything. If we say you're grounded, we need to follow it up with a time frame, a realistic time frame. I have had parents sit in my office during a tour and have the kid tell me, um, have the parents tell me, well, they've been grounded for the past six months. And when I boot the parents out of the room to just talk to the kid, the kid's like, I sneak out every night. If you can't enforce the rule, what good is the rule? If you're not going to enforce the rule, what good is the rule? I had a parent tell me that, you know, the kid stole the car and they're screaming at the kid, I'm going to call the cops on you and everything. And I looked at the mom and I said, are you going to call the cops on your daughter? And she said, no, I don't want my daughter to go to jail. There's, there's criminals in jail. But you're threatening it, and she knows you're not going to send. So what other consequences does d don't matter? She said, none of them. Well, if we're going to set a precedent for setting unrealistic time frames or unrealistic consequences, expect them to ignore it. So what is a realistic time frame? A realistic time frame is one that doesn't create more work for you. So much of what we're talking about has to create less work for the parents, not more work. Well, I'll go back to your kid getting in trouble with the law in a little bit because there's some there's some significant time and energy withdrawals from our from our emotional bank account that our kid having legal troubles um, actually has to on us. So we still have to take care of ourselves and our adult relationships before we make sure this kid gets to their court date. Their court date is not your responsibility. So what's a realistic time frame? Well, whatever helps you sleep at night, whatever doesn't make your life harder, set that one. What a realistic a time frame is to earn a phone back for sexting is going to be between you and your parenting partners. The idea that there's a number I could throw at you that uh, um, would work for all things, number one, won't work. And number two, people will find a reason why that their individual situation is particular to them and their child. So use that moment. Can you use your feelings to create a consequence? In private, sure. As long as you're being very conscious about your feelings. I'm terrified. And when my daughter sends nude pictures of herself, I, I know how the internet works and I know how little control she has of this. And I know there's something else going on. And this fear that I have makes me want to really lock her down. Okay. So now you're on a track and you've got signposts of fear, but now you resource. Now you talk to other parents who've dealt with this situation. You see what they have to say. You go online and see if there's parenting groups or meetups or a weekly phone call or a coach that you can find. You talk to your therapist. You talk to other families that you know. You talk to your parenting partners. You resource. You don't try to make this up by yourself. So many of us are trying to make this up by ourselves. What's a realistic time for being grounded for curfew? I don't know. I don't know what's going to work for you. I don't know what, what's going to help you sleep at night. So let's say that they you you set these time frames. Like they, they've come home late. So you say, I'm sorry, but I'm not willing to honor our um, curfew if you don't honor it. So I'm ready to honor a curfew that you honor. So next week, the curfew will be, you will not leave the house. You will be grounded next weekend. But I have a concert that I paid for. I saved up all that money. I know. You can't, man. That's stealing. Blah, blah, blah. I'm sure it seems like that. 
It is. It doesn't seem like that. It is. I know. And what did I say? I don't care what you say. You can't make me stay in the house. I'm going to sneak. I'm going to the concert now uh, anyway. Well, we'll see how that worry works out for you. Try not to worry about it. And then they sneak out. At some point, we have the conversation that the time frame, kiddo, is conditional upon awesome choices, such as next week you stick with the family and you realize that that, that behavior has made everybody's life tough, not just yours, that you're affecting everybody. Um, awesome choices are you, you, you pay back some of the energy that you've taken. Because I, I didn't sleep well last night wondering when you were going to come home. And I have to go to work. And well, I'm fine. I don't understand why you have to stay up. And okay, why well, I'm fine. I'm just over at Steve's house. We made an agreement. And when you don't honor the agreement, it makes me not want to honor the agreement. I agreed on this certain time, and so do you. It's written up over there. Well, that time doesn't work. I can see that. But you will not have a vote until you can show me that even when things are tough, you can make them work. Because that's how the world works. This is bullshit. I know. I hate paying taxes. It's bullshit. And here comes April 15th. I got to get it out there. Again, I want to I want to come back to the tone of my voice. I want to come back that I'm having this conversation and regardless of where they go with it, I stay in a regulated nervous system. The strongest nervous system will win. Our landmarks, the earnbacks, you can have your phone back when I see three weeks of awesome choices, such as we you do something about this uh, um, English grade that's in the dumper. I'd love to see C's. I feel like that if you were able to pull up the C's, you would be demonstrating a, um, a, a really powerful taking charge of your life thing. I really hate that teacher. I know. Remember, that's where we stop talking. When they, when, they, when they come back with an offer for power struggle, we go, we go brain dead. The teacher sucks. She hates kids. I don't know why she's a teacher. She fails everybody. The test is so hard. I know. God, we want to we wanna keep talking after that. Even in that silence, I find my brain coming up with another 12 things to say. Don't say it. Say, I know, and stop talking. Hand the problem back to the child. Kid, I'm I'm willing to to start paying for your uh, internet service when I see uh, consistent awesome choices uh, for three months. And here are some of the things that I think are awesome choices. I think um, doing your chores that we've agreed on without being reminded is awesome choice. I think um, going above and beyond on somebody else's chores and helping out other people is some really awesome choices. I think coming home at curfew time without question, without call, without excuse, is very awesome choices. If you want to renegotiate your curfew, I'd be willing to do that after three months of no curfew violations. I would totally be willing to talk about a new curfew. Well, what could the new curfew be? I'm not willing to talk about it right now. I'm spending enough energy on this conversation rather than talking about what could be. My curfew sucks. I know. I'm sorry, this is hard. And then be quiet. Stop talking right there. That was perfect. Okay. Um, we are consistent. We delay. 
We take time before we deliver the consequence. And I wanna say, be okay with delivering the consequences when things are good again. That's a great time. We, we've had a rough three days because a few days ago they snuck out and they came home and they smelled like beer and the car had a big old scratch on it. And we're just like, oh my God, are you, are you, what is, are you, oh my God. And so we wait and we talk to our support team and we come up with a really good idea that's going to cost them. And man, it makes us uncomfortable, but we're, we're going to be okay with that. And things start going good. Like, like they actually have realized that they, they screwed up. And, and they're like, hey, mom, I'm, I'm really sorry about the other night. Yeah, that was a rough night. I'm really sorry, too. I'm sorry we're in this position. Uh, hey, so I'm wondering, what are you thinking about for consequences? Man, I don't know. I don't know, kid. I, I mean, I'm, I'm still pretty triggered about it. And I just, so I don't want to come up with the consequences while I'm triggered because then I'll just I'll just be an asshole about it. So it just I just need a little bit more time. OK, try not to worry about it. In that moment when you're delivering that, something magical may happen. And I've seen it, and I've seen it with the kids here in the facility, and I've seen it with my own kids. They say the following, well, I've thought of something uh, for a consequence. My God, that moment where they come up with their own consequence is a golden moment. Cherish it, mark it on the calendar, and call your mother, because it's an amazing experience. We say, well, what did you, what do you think? What was your, what was your idea for consequence? Well, and maybe the consequence is totally non-consequential, <laughs> but, but it just means they're thinking. And so no matter what they come up with for a consequence, pause, listen, and delay. Man, that's a, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I hadn't thought of that one. Let me take that into consideration. I'd, I think I'll be ready to talk about this on Thursday or Friday. Uh, which one of those days works with you? Well, can we do it on Thursday? Because Friday, I'm, I'm hoping I can still go to the game Friday night. Okay, okay. I'm not sure how I feel about that now, but I'm not doing consequences now, so we don't have to worry about that. Remember, I keep throwing in that, don't worry about it, don't worry about it, okay? That's, that's our little trigger phrase. I want you to worry about it. Oh, my God, you think about this. And... Okay, we'll do it on Thursday. That sounds great. How about we do it after dinner? Let's let's have a totally cool table topic dinner. Um, and then afterwards, now by Thursday, things are going really well. All right, all this stuff had happened on Saturday and it's now Thursday and things have been going great. We're getting along. They've apologized. They're helping with the dishes. We haven't had to remind them to clean the room. The cat box. The cat box has no poop in it. It's been cleaned. I didn't say anything. It's magic. It's a magic cat box. And Thursday comes up and by God, I don't want to ruin all the good that's going on. That's your work, parents. This is the part where you said you're going to talk about on Thursday. You said you were going to deliver consequence on Thursday. And my God, you don't want to. But now is the best time to do it. And it's going to be uncomfortable. Hey, dude. Things have been going really well all week, and I so appreciate it. It really shows me that what happened this weekend mattered to you, and that was my biggest concern, that this doesn't matter to you. It only matters to me. So here's what your dad and I, here's what your mom and I have come up with consequence for a consequence, and you deliver it, and it sucks, and maybe they get mad again, and maybe it sets everything back a little bit. 
maybe they're totally understanding and they say that makes a lot of sense or really appreciate how calm you are when you deliver this. <laughs> they're not going to say that. That's not the point. The point is, is that they've done work and we've done work and things have gotten better and we're delivering a consequence. Now, if because things have gone better, we say, I was going to say three weeks, but actually because things are going so well, um, I'm, your dad and I agreed to, to back it down to two weeks. But the game this weekend, I really wanted to go. I know, kid. I know. The, these, these consequences are hard. So I'm delivering this after big feelings, and I'm deciding what the consequence is going to be after the big feelings. I don't want to keep my feelings wrapped up in this. This whole world, my God, folks, go on Facebook and look at how out of control people's feelings are. And I'm not talking about children. I'm talking about adults. We are setting up a society where adults are not demonstrating that you feel one thing and you do another, that they do not have to be connected. They can be aligned, but they do not have to be connected. And it is not a knee-jerk reaction. Only the warrior is allowed to get away with that and only in very special circumstances. In life, you have a feeling and it makes you feel something and you feel it and you go through the feeling and then you start making decisions. That's how we're supposed to do it. That's how we're supposed to teach the kids to do it. The idea that we expect children to do that is ridiculous because developmentally, they do not possess the capability to have a gap between the feeling and the choice. They develop that as a young adult. And honestly, that doesn't develop usually for girls until 25 and boys until 28. For boys, if we're lucky at 28, okay? So we have to teach it and we teach it by modeling it. We don't tell them what to do. We show them what to do by doing it, by, by employing it into our own life. There's one last piece about consequences and it's about the coming home contract and behavioral contracts that I want to talk about, but I'm going to take the mics off of mute and see if anybody has some points of comments, concerns, questions, critiques, criticisms, or clarification. So everybody's live again. Your mics are live. Uh, what do you need? Hey, Aaron, I have a question. Sure, please go ahead. How might you handle a situation whereby the, the teenager continues to escalate the behavior after the consequence has been delivered and outwardly appears to to not care or disregard the consequence like you said yeah maybe the consequence is delivered they go right out the the window and and don't come to the realization that they're going to have to deal with this at some point they continue to escalate the behavior without regard for the consequences okay so the question about what do you do is the if the disregards the consequence and continues to escalate the behavior. The conversation as a parent will then come, hey, it seems like the consequence I set didn't really matter to you. And that makes me really, um, and, I, and I'm sorry, not it makes me, I feel really frustrated and very scared. So it looks like I'm gonna to have to create a bigger consequence. And at some point here, kiddo, we're gonna come crashing into a corner. I hope we don't hit that part. And all of this tells me you're really struggling with something else. And so I'm here to have a conversation about that something else before this gets so out of hand. This is the early intervention piece. 
This is the part where the moment it happens, now we step in pretty quick and we say, this feels like it's going to spiral out of control. And I'm I'm concerned that this is just going to be more piled on consequences. And pretty soon you're going to be so underwater that it's going to feel impossible to get out and then none of it will matter. As, as adults, we haven't experienced with this in real estate, right? This is this is when a house is underwater, when you can't afford even the interest payment. And so the, the bills keep stacking up and stacking up. And then the penalties are on top of the bills. And at some point you just go, I'm not going to even bother paying. Now, kids can do that relatively quickly, especially kids who are, who are out of control. Remember, life and limb, we intervene. There is no vote on the child's part. If it's a life and limb concept, if, if what they're doing is life and limb dangerous, then we jump in and we, we pull out all the stops. We call cops. We call 911. We get the ambulance there. We do whatever it takes to protect our, our children's lives. Otherwise, we can keep the conversation going and just to see how far underwater they want to get. As long as our, co our consequences are realistic, as long as we continue to hand the problem back to the child, and as long as we're being very conscious that at some point here they may go underwater, which tells us as parents of kids at risk, there's something else going on. Uh, this is not just ditching school and we give them a consequence and they say, I don't care and ditch school again. And then we give them another consequence and then 15 ditchings and consequences later, we're still just delivering, hoping something's going to land. One of the reasons why we have the X system at Fire Mountain, the minor rule violation, is because we know that once a child hits three X's, something is going on. Once a child hits seven X's, now remember, these are minor things. You didn't get up on time. Uh, you, you, you didn't help with the, with the chores uh, uh, that well. Someone said something and you cussed at them, you know, calling them a name or something like that. Staff asked you to do something. You didn't comply with, their, with a reasonable request. These are, these are minor things. At three, we know something else is going on. At seven, we increase supervision. At seven, they literally go into a, hyper, a, a higher supervision status from green to yellow. And so we can do the same concept with our kids. And this is, again, we'll, we'll talk about the coming home contract in a second, but we agree to these terms while things are good, okay? We know as parents, if our consequence doesn't land and it happens again, so we level another consequence, they don't care and they do something else that levels another consequence, Folks, there's something else going on. That's when we that's when we stop and we say, listen, we're up to these three big consequences now, and it doesn't seem like you care, which tells me we're a little bit in crisis mode and more consequences isn't going to make it better. So what's really going on? Like, obviously, this is not about school and smoke and pot. Like, there's something else going on. Are you able, able to talk about this now? And at least we're opening that door. And if it keeps happening and the... And the well, I mean, you guys all know what it, what happens if it keeps happening and it just spins out of control. You intervene. You, 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 you pull the major left turn and they end up in a treatment facility or something at that level. Does that help? Absolutely. Thank you. Okay. Any other questions before we get into the coming home contract in our, in our last part left? The importance of a coming home contract, that's what we call it. It's also called a behavioral contract. And if you Google online behavior contracts, you will find so many resources for this. We have employed the coming home contract, the behavior contract, since day one of Fire Mountain. 
This is easily one of the most psychology 101 concept. My very first client I ever had as an individual coaching client, it's a nine-year-old boy who had tried to commit suicide twice. And mom walked in on him on the third attempt. And uh, he had done some other work with me and he had done some of the more empowerment, fun kids camp stuff. And the mom was saying, is there anybody out there you'd like to speak with? And he said, I want to, I'll talk to Aaron. And so the first thing I did is go online and I Googled how to talk to a kid about suicide. First thing they said is don't sugarcoat anything. The kids already thought about it. And that, that was extremely uncomfortable to, to say to the kid, what types of plans have you made? Because then you hear a nine-year-old child tell you everything they thought of. And you're like, my God, where did you learn all this? Um, but it also told you that you could talk pretty openly and freely about this as long as you did it without judgment and fear and reaction. You could be sad with the child and scared for the child, but never punitive, always understanding, always validating that the child really saw life being that desperate. The second thing they said was sign a contract. And I did. And I said, after a year and a day, and I knew this kid's leverage, after a year and a day of you calling for help when you feel suicidal, of you not using it as an option, of you um, resourcing outwards before the struggle gets too big, I'll buy you a sword. That was this kid's leverage. He, he absolutely loved medieval weaponry, and it was a, it was a little you know, cheap, appropriate sword for his age. And of course I had his mom's permission. And a year and a day later, I bought him a sword. And I was blown away at the effective nature of that, of that contract. We made an agreement and we talked about the agreement and we talked about the power of contracts. And we talked about how that's a very adult thing. And of course, during that year, he had, he had gone through depressive times and he would call or he would uh, talk to his mom and I would stay in touch with his mom. This coming home contract is something we set up with our teens while they are still in recovery. And we talk about it while they are still in recovery. It is the thing that we have both signed and agreed to. And it goes up on the fridge. The kid gets a copy and we get a copy. The points have already been um, negotiated and agreed upon. And now this is the final contract and it goes up on the fridge and we've spelled out everything. We've spelled out what consequences can be for certain behaviors. First offense will look like this. Second offense will look like this. Third offense will look like this. Here are the non-negotiables. Here is no matter what is going on. If you have brought drugs in the house, we will do this. If you uh, take the car without permission, we will do this. If you, these are the non-negotiables, no matter why this is going to happen. Mom, I had to take the car. My friend, she was so scared. She was suicidal and everything. Look, I'm really, really proud of you for, you know, taking care of your friend like that and being a resource for your friend. The consequences for taking the car without the permission stand. And um, I totally understand why you did it, but that doesn't mean there's no consequences. Sometimes even when we do the right thing, there are consequences. And this is one of them. All you had to do was call me and you didn't. You could have texted me and you didn't. And so we will lose the car, but instead of three weeks, we'll do one. And that's where you can negotiate. But the consequence of taking the car without permission stands. I, no matter how noble you are, child. So the coming home contract is where we establish the ground rules. 
again, when our kid is home, and I, I was just talking with a parent whose kid uh, left Fire Mountain about six weeks ago, and I mark that six weeks to graduation from graduation date in your calendar, because that's when you're going to see the first dip in the in the kid's behavior. It's like they open the old drawer in the dresser, and there's that old pair of comfortable pants, and they put it back on and run around in it. And you're like, I thought you had the new pants. I thought you liked that. We all liked you in the new pants. It's it takes about six weeks, and that's when we have the first dip. We don't freak out. We go through our feelings like adults. We call our call our parenting partners and we resource. Then we sit down with the contract and we say, okay, kid, on Thursday, I know it's Tuesday, but on Thursday, there was a violation of the contract. I was really upset, so I didn't want to talk about it because I know when I get upset, I can make things worse. Look at that damaging admission. Look at how much control. Look at the gift I'm offering the kid. Things have been going well since Thursday. However, on Thursday, the contract was violated. You broke curfew. So I know we let it slide over the weekend, but that's because we didn't want to impose consequence. We are now. And the consequence that we agreed on was now that your curfew would be moved forward by a half hour for four weeks. However, because you were so amazingly awesome with your sister, we're going to make it three weeks. That's where your negotiation point is. So we're going to always have our non-negotiables and our bargaining chips. The non-negotiables are if you violate curfew, you lose a half hour on curfew. The negotiables are how long it's going to be for. Now, understand, kiddo, that I've lowered it from four weeks to three weeks. I am willing to lower it to two if in the next two I see the following awesome choices being made. Or if in the following two, we see a kid who's learned from his mistakes and is making awesome choices. Also understand, kid, that this time frame is conditional upon these awesome choices in the other direction too. If more poor choices are made, then we will increase the time frame. If that doesn't seem to work, we will go to our level two consequences. Well, what's level two? Well, in our contract, we said that if the if curfew gets violated a second time, that weekends will be a nine to five experience. And there will be no evenings out on weekends. You will have evenings with mom and dad. And kid, just know that if that's not working, then we know that something else is going on and we'll intervene at that level. And you will have a vote as long as responsibility is being taken. You can share in the power as long as you are taking responsibility. Responsible behavior is a prerequisite of privacy, choice, and freedom. The coming home contract is set up to determine what the freedoms will be, what the consequences will be, and what the privacy agreements, the choice agreements, everything. This is our opportunity. It sounds so daunting and huge. It's actually not. It can be a two-page document that just addresses the topics that have been uh, subjects of confrontation. Curfew, cell phone, internet, video games, drugs, cigarettes, uh, school, anything that's been a problem. But what we have to remember about contracts is that everybody must benefit. We must be able to say in our contract, here's where you can earn a half hour later on your curfew. Here is where we're willing to give 
and provide your internet service back to you. Here's where I'm willing to make sure that you have a ride to school. Here's where I, 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 I wanted to make sure that I mentioned the, the court thing. Your kid gets busted and he has to go to court. There are two things that are going to play in here. Your stress is going to make you want to remind them that they have a lot of work to do for court and need to prepare and dress nice. That's not your job. I know you don't want your kid to get thrown under the bus by the system, but your kid being in diversion is not the end of the world. Um, and your kid having to call a, a diversion officer once a week um, is not the end of the world. And when they have to do it for six months because they got busted with an MIP, uh, all you have to do is remember and say to them, whew, good thing you're not an adult because calling a probation officer is a real pain in the butt. I know sexting has made you get landed in diversion and now you have to call the diversion officer. But did you know that uh, uh, sex offenders have to call every day, every single day? And if they miss a day, they can go back to prison. Like, thank God you're learning on this one, kid, because <laughs> I'm learning a lot. I was so terrified about the sexting. I went on and I looked all this research and sex offenders. Man, can you imagine introducing yourself to all your neighbors as a sex offender, even though it only because you received some girl's picture of her boobs, but she just happened to be your age and not an adult? Whew, thank God we learned this lesson this way. I know it's hard, kid, but thank God we, we learned it when we're here. So this court thing, court sounds daunting, and the fear of the thing is often worse than the thing. Of all the families, and I've worked with a lot of families who've been through the court system, nine times out of ten, uh, it's not that bad of an experience. It's a nuisance, it's a pain, and we're angry at our kids, and that's what's made it a bad experience. Working with the diversion officer, contacting the diversion officer and saying, I want this kid to work for this. I, please give them some community service hours. Please make sure that um, that uh, uh, they have to write a um, restorative justice letter to the victims. Please make sure that they have to call you once a week. And please tell them and remind them that this is not my work, it's theirs, so that I don't have to remind them to make us both into bad guys. And I will totally stay out of your way and you have total resource with me. Build your team with the, the diversion people. They are, I've found them all to be really, really cool. Um, and yeah, every now and then I've worked with a family whose kid has been raked over the coals because that judge has decided to make an example of this kid because whatever that kid did, bullying, happens to be a hot topic in the community and the judge wants to send a clear message to the community and your child has to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And you have to figure out how to hand that back to your child. If you get your child an attorney, put it in the contract. If you, if you to put it in the coming home contract, that kid, any legal fees that are uh, obtained through poor choices will be paid for by you. You will pay attorneys, you will pay court fees. I will not be willing to pay. I am not willing to pay for other people's crimes. And so good luck with that because they can they can rack up fast. And that's can create some underwater experience. I know. 
I know that three times ditching and three times getting busted by the resource officer, and now they own $2,000 as a 15-year-old in court fees and stuff like that is pretty daunting. I also mowed lawns at 15 years old. My babysat at 15 years old. They're, we got to hand these problems back to the kids. They're still not in life and limb yet, and that's hard. It feels like life and limb, but the fear of the thing is bigger than the thing, and the pain of the thing is bigger than the thing. And the fear and the pain of it are not life and limb, not for your kid. And it's absolutely, and here's the biggest conversation I want to have and want you to take away about uh, consequences. It will never hurt them if you take the brunt of the consequence. And we have a saying, and I, I didn't do it at this past parents weekend. And now that I'm, I'm thinking about it, I'm like, this is one of the most effective sayings that we have about consequences. So listen close, put your ear right up to the speaker. If it don't hurt, it don't matter. That's the truth of consequences. Remember when we broke down to, to simplify all human behavior into cost and payoff, cost and payoff. Why are they doing it? Because they, they are getting a bigger payoff than it's costing them. And it's the, the toxic and nourishing, the, it's all getting con, con, confused and all kinds of stuff. But the bottom line is, if the consequence doesn't hurt them, the consequence won't matter. And anything you do to make it hurt less makes it matter less. And that's a tough one because we don't want to hurt our kids. You're not. You're actually preparing them to live in a world that will deliver consequences without mercy. If you forget how the world will deliver consequences without mercy, watch one of those nature programs and watch how nature acts on people. Nature... I was telling two boys who were getting ready to graduate. I was talking to both of them. And I said to them very cleanly and clearly, nature and society doesn't give a shit about you. I care about you. Your family cares about you. Your tribe cares about you. Your friends care about you. But that's a very, very infinitesimally small part of society. Society is concerned with society's survival. And if you threaten that with your behavior, it will not care. And it will consequence you. So take responsibility for your life. Because kids, someone's going to take responsibility for, for your life. Someone will take responsibility for your life, kiddo. We're all hoping it's going to be you. The coming home, home contract piece at Fire Mountain, working with your kids at Fire Mountain, I cannot stress enough how important it is. So please read about it in the parent handbook. Your kids will provide the first draft of the coming home contract for their week at home. They have a worksheet and they have instructions on how to create the first draft. They should be handing that to you at some point when you start, uh, when you all agree, when you, your child and your therapist all agree when they're gonna have it done for you, they should be handing that to you. You take it home, and you make your additions and corrections and hand it back to them. You talk about it, the corrections, and practice the negotiation in therapy so that you can all remember how to have uh, uh, conversations that are tough. And then they will rewrite it and hand it back to you. And by then, we should be starting to wrap it up. Okay? 
So please, please stay in communication with your family therapist about the behavior contracts, the coming home contracts, and don't shortchange that. I have seen them be very, very effective. Um, and I've seen parents violate them just as easily as the kids. So remember, you're, you're on the hook for the contractual behavior and consequences as well. So, uh, and the consequence, I'm sorry, the contracts benefit everybody, not just the parents. So make sure there's pieces benefiting the kids in there as well. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Join us each week for your connection to experts in adolescent health and wellness, recovery, and responsibility, and also to listen to teens talk about their lives in crisis. For more information on our program for struggling teens or me, please go to firemountainprograms.com, join us on Facebook at Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center, or at Beyond Risk and Back. Visit our YouTube channel at Fire Mountain RTC for even more support with our parent training videos. Special thanks to Mental Health News Radio for their continued love and support of our program. Please go to mentalhealthnewsradio.com to see all of their podcasts. Feel free to email me at Aaron at firemountainprograms.com. <laughs>